Welcome back to Real Estate Happenings, your go-to podcast for all things real estate. Today we have Andrew Lynn, a very dear friend and one of our original NAN fam agents here with us today, who will be talking all about being an entrepreneur in the restaurant space and real estate. How many years has it been, Andrew? It's like seven years now. Oh my God, we were just babies. It was a while ago. <laughs> and now you have opened new businesses, new restaurants. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I attribute a lot of it to your mentorship, your guidance, and everything that you guys created too with Nan. Tell me what you're up to in real estate. On the real estate side, you know, we're doing a lot of things that I used to do, getting back to the basics. So, um, in line with you know meeting as many people as possible, I think there was a period of time where I held the most open houses in the city, probably like right before COVID in 2018. Uh, you know, I remember seeing one of the colleagues sit in two open houses a day. So you know, I said, well, instead of two, I should do three. So instead of having like one open house a week, I ended up having six open houses a week. So again, it was just a chance to try to meet as many people as possible. You picked up um, so much business during that time. Yeah, I mean, some of the biggest deals I've ever done uh, came from open houses. Oh my God, say it again for the camera. <laughs> some of the biggest deals Andrew has done have been... From open houses. Boom. I but, talk about that all the time. You know, I think it's hard because if you don't look at it as like an opportunity and you're looking at it as more of a chore then it becomes a problem. So a big reason actually uh, why I was interested in coming to NAND was when we first met, you know, I didn't have a lot of listings. And I asked you, okay, well, if there are listings, can people sit into open houses? How does this work? And you said, yeah, sure. You know, as long as you get the okay from the listing agent, you can sit in any open house that you want. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, that's awesome because, you know, at that time, my goal was really to try to sell the most expensive properties possible. Mm -hmm. But in the brokerage I was in and um, you know, I don't think it's super common in all brokerages. I think if there's good relationships, it can happen. But if you're in a shop that has like 500 agents and you get a random call, like you may not really be as interested in having the strangers in your open house. I thought that was awesome because what better way to meet potential buyers at whatever price point you're looking for? Um, there's no better way than sitting in an open house because you're going to attract those potential buyers anyway. For sure. Um, I'm always preaching that to new agents. Even, you know, uh, agents that have been in the business for a while. I remember calling some of the top producing agents in Houston. We were working a deal. And when I called him, he said, I can't talk right now. I'm at an open house. <laughs> and I remember thinking, he sells $80 million a year. Why is he at an open house? But it's because of that, yeah. you know, back to the basics. Right. And that's where you meet those individuals and those million-dollar listings that you could build a relationship with and eventually help them buy real estate. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the other thing about the open house is I remember before I got my license, I started to go around with some of my friends who were looking to purchase homes. And I'll never forget this story, but, you know, you walk in the house and really how many questions can you ask about a property? Mm -hmm. There's probably 10 questions at most. How big is it? How many rooms? What year was it built? What are the taxes like? How old is the roof? Any, like, repairs? You know, it's pretty simple. And this person was in the open house, you know, same way. He was sitting for the listing agent. 
And we started to ask just very basic questions. And he said, oh, actually, I don't know. I'm just helping a friend out. But if you're not represented, I'd be more than happy to help you out. So I'm like, well, why would we ask somebody to represent us? Or why would my friend want somebody to represent him if, you know, you're sitting in this house, you're not listing it, but you're sitting here for like at least two hours. Like, you don't make the effort you, to yeah, at you don't least make know the basic information. Right. And this is a first impression to a stranger. Right. So if you cannot even convey these like simple facts then like why do you think this would be a good fit so for realtors that are watching this yeah note to self if you're sitting at an open house please know how many bedrooms square footage (laughs) how many bathrooms and what year it was built yeah i mean simple stuff schools like honestly when i was holding so many open houses i would drive to the random houses and i could look it up quickly on the phone and memorize everything as I was parking. And maybe, you know, I don't have a very good memory, but you know, there are certain things that I knew people were going to ask about. I knew there were attributes about the property that I would want to talk about. It's important um, to help not only talk about the property, whether they don't buy the property is a different story. But if I'm trying to get them as a lead, like I need to somehow show that I'm adding value. So um, in finance, we always talk about like, how are you adding value? And where are those areas where, you know, you can provide something that another agent can't? It's hard. There's 40,000 agents in the city. So what makes you different? What makes you unique? Or what makes you unique? Um, to, what value to, are you adding? Yeah, exactly. So I, I thought that was big. And then, you know, originally I thought that was happening at a certain price point, $300,000, $400,000. And this was, you know, a few years ago. So numbers are a little bit lower than what they would be now. But then... I started to go to broker opens in more expensive neighborhoods. And these are listing agents sitting in their listings. And same thing, I would ask like simple questions and they wouldn't know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Like these We're are not now million dollars. We're not okay. naming those agents, but you know, this is something that I wasn't sure if it was local to this market. And then I spent some time in California and same thing, except the prices were way higher. I remember I went wow. to this open house that was like, I think $3 million and they had a casita in the back. That was like 20% of the square footage. And I asked them, oh, is this included? And they're like, well, not really sure. So if you look at 20% on $3 million, it's $600,000. Like, are you valuing it the same as the house or wow. not? So I think it's just a relatively easy industry to get into because there are semi-lower barriers to get in. But then it's not really like an 80-20 rule. I don't think... of the production is done by 20% of the agents. I think it's really like a 90-10. I mean, I do think it's very true because there's 100,000 transactions in Houston and there's 40,000 agents. Like, not everybody is surviving on two and a half deals a year. Absolutely. I just love going to your restaurants and thinking, oh my God, these are Andrew's restaurants. How did all this start? I honestly can't even remember when it all started. I know you did the pop-ups. Yeah. So the pop-ups, they started at the end of 18. Wow. So it happened because I heard one of my mutual friends um, had left a very famous restaurant, was looking to open his own spot. I thought I could have helped him on the real estate side and that night... He thought it was going to be like a 30-minute meeting. It ended up being three hours. We came up with a pop-up concept, and the rest is history. I love it. I remember when you guys, so 
we basically start, and I say we because we were looking at million dollar homes and yep. we would have pop-ups at these homes. Yep. What was the wait list for those pop-ups? Do you remember? Uh, so we did the dinners about once every month for a year before the first restaurant opened, but uh, we would do it two to three nights during uh, the month. And so we would have somewhere between like 40 and 60 people come through. And toward the end, we had a wait list of like 5,000 people. Wow. So if you think about 40 or 60 people each month for 5,000 people, it's a lot of months. So. For sure. Yeah. Did you ever think, I mean, looking back now, hey, I'm Andrew, I'm going to open up restaurants in the future. Was that even in the plan? So people ask me how it happened uh, or why it happened or why I had interest in getting into restaurants. So I knew I always wanted to open some sort of business. And then actually when I first started my career on the finance side, um, I was an equity analyst for consumer-related companies, so I studied a lot of publicly traded restaurants. Uh, so I always thought if I came across the right opportunity or if I thought um, there was something there that could be bigger, then I would try to get involved. So, yeah. I love that. Tell us about your background because I even sometimes forget what yeah. a genius you are. Uh, I don't know about all that, but... Um, so I'm born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, came out of school in 2009, so around the recession time, but uh, my background is all in finance, so I worked in a fund in, up there in Baltimore uh, for almost five years. I was an equity analyst at the peak. The, the fund handled about a billion dollars, um, so I was one of the five on the investment side that were involved with picking the actual stocks that went into the portfolios. And then I had an opportunity to come down to Houston to work with a smaller fund. It was 200 million, but there were less people involved. So I was only one of like three decision makers for that. And that's how I ended up here. Um, ultimately, it wasn't quite the right fit on the finance side, uh, but I knew I wanted to do something entrepreneurial. So I actually, I remember I was getting ready to send my resume out and I started looking at jobs and I was like, man, you know, I came here to do something on my own. So this is what we're going to do. And that's when I decided to get my real estate license in 2015. I always had some interest in real estate. I, I thought that um, as an investment, it was always an interesting vehicle. But then also because it's a tangible asset, I would get more excited about it because you could actually see it. You could touch it. Um, so it got me a little bit more interested than just like looking at numbers on paper. Um, and that's how I switched to real estate back in 2015. Do you remember when we first met? Yeah, you know, I remember because um, <clears throat> when I first joined the brokerage, um, you know, I was doing my homework, but then after that first year, it wasn't really quite the right fit. And so I was looking for a new place and I said, well, you know, if I make a switch, I don't want to keep going through this exercise and looking for a new brokerage. Uh, so I remember I came and met you, but I met you like three or four times. That was the hardest interview for me. <laughs> I have never had an agent come in and want to meet so many different times. That third meeting, I was like, Andrew, what are we going to talk about now? I mean, I just really wanted to make sure, like doing my diligence, um, you know, because that's all I knew. That's all my background was, was just asking a lot of questions. And then ultimately, you got to come up with your decision. Right. So, um, eight yeah, years I'm, later, eight look, years you're still later, here. Yeah, I'm glad that, you know, we made the right decision and excited to see what's going to happen in the future. For sure. No, I love it. And, you know, you've become 
family to Jose and I, and now you and Natalie. Natalie's his girlfriend, ladies. He's <laughs> taken. Um, we simply adore her. You guys are amazing. But just to see how much your business has grown. So how many restaurants do you have now? Uh, so right now I have three, and then we're opening uh, fourth. Uh, it should have been this beginning of the year, but it's going to be this month, next month, and then uh, one more toward the end of the year. So is it all sushi restaurants? Yeah. So right now they're all Japanese-focused restaurants. Okay. Yeah. yeah, on the food side, you know, when I moved down here, there's not a lot to do. So I just was eating at all these different restaurants, and ever since I was little, sushi was one of my favorite foods. Um, so... Back in the day, you know, I was so into sneakers and I really wanted to have a, a shop. And uh, there was I a, didn't know this. Yeah. There was a concept in New York that I thought was really, really cool because it was mirrored after a butcher shop. So people wouldn't know that it was actually a sneaker shop, but it was a butcher shop as like the facade. So my like name on Instagram and like back in the day on eBay, it was Linjo Sushi House. So wow. I was going to make a sushi-themed sneaker shop, but then I ended up making a sushi-themed restaurant <laughs> instead. <laughs> so maybe hey, one day. You put it in the universe. Yeah. That's what matters. Yeah, for sure. So you opened up these restaurants. You started off with the year of doing pop-ups, and then came the restaurants, yep. the first, second, third, and now fourth. Yeah. What has that been like just growing for you? How? Where does your business come from? Is it all social media? Tell me about the marketing behind that. Yeah, I mean, it is um, important, just like on the real estate side. From the beginning, I knew that we needed to have a good social presence. Um, so in the very first dinners, you know, we actually had Preston shooting video and uh, we were taking good pictures. Um, and Contents, that was, everything. yeah, I mean, that was already like five years ago. Uh, and then, you know, we created something that had a really limited supply. And then, you know, when you can't get what you want, people just want it more. God, that is so true. So I think it's analogous, you know, it's very similar in real estate, the way that we think it's important to be able to convey like the feeling of being in the restaurant, the experience of being in the restaurant, just as like if you're trying to sell a house and you want to you want to be able to portray like what it would be like to actually live in this house, not just a picture of, you know, a kitchen or a bathroom. Um, so being able to tie a little bit more of the emotional side into it, I think is really important. That's such a good way to put it. As a realtor, do you feel like owning a business has taken you away from your real estate? No, because on the restaurant side, you know, I'm not the star of the show. So I'm behind the scenes more. Um, but ultimately, you know, it's still about networking. And I was talking to Tony a couple of weeks ago about how I would meet people in the restaurant and then I would see them in open houses and then vice versa. Because we're still in a very, I think... Uh, you know, we're in a hot spot in town right. and all the real estate for the most part that I'm selling is in these areas. So we're kind of seeing these paths cross one another. Um, I love that you say that, that you're behind the scenes because I've been talking a lot on my social platforms about owning different businesses. I don't advertise what other businesses Jose and I own, but we have ownership in other businesses. And like you said, I'm not the star of those right. businesses. So it's so important that you know, for other realtors, I guess, to hear you and myself say this is that you can have other businesses and still be successful in real estate. Yeah, I think 
for the real estate side, the reason why I still want to be so hands-on is because it's the largest purchase most people are ever going to make. Right. So, you know, I've had help before. I've thought about building a team out. But ultimately, um, I wouldn't want somebody else to screw up, you know, a, a client's purchase or a decision or sale. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing, honestly, because it would eat me up more knowing that I could have helped out more or it was my fault that somebody else either lost a lot of money or lost an opportunity. Right. So that's the real reason why. <laughs> what would you have done different if you could go back and talk to your younger realtor self? The younger realtor self? Um, I mean, honestly, I don't think there's a lot that I would change um, I think you still have to be willing in the beginning to work every day. So, you know, there were instances where I was out of town, I got a call and, you know, deals were big enough. Okay. I'm flying back, changed a flight, um, Make just to happen. be back. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately sometimes those deals, most of the time, actually those deals didn't go through, but I think it's, it's a game of chances. Like if you're not stepping up to bat, you're never going to have a chance to swing. So you right. got to put yourself in those positions and, you know, honestly, like I did some stuff that was kind of crazy. You know, when I started, I told you when we first met, I was still working full time. And I was like, man, you know, I'm sitting in an office that has four people, sometimes three people. And like, how am I going to meet anyone? Because I moved to Houston. I literally knew one person. Can you please tell us how you started to meet people when you first yeah. moved to Houston? So, I, this I is one of my favorite stories. I guess it was like 14 or maybe like 15. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I had time. After work, before work. Hold on. Before you tell this story, okay. this man is managing a billion-dollar portfolio. Over here, no. It was like 200. Okay. I'm sorry. 200 million. Yeah. And then what did you start doing? So, I became an Uber driver. <laughs> you know? so, I love that Yeah, story. it was crazy. You know, it was early on. Like, Uber was just taking off here. So, I was like, man, you know, if I drive a lot, I bet I can meet a lot of people. And so you saw an opportunity. Yeah, I just thought, oh, well, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? Okay, I go out and buy a car. So actually, I, I bought a pretty dope car. I bought what like kind of a car. It was an S550, but it was an older one. What kind of Uber? I never yeah, it was get the those nicest Uber. Drivers. I know, right? It was the nicest Uber out there. Why Uber drivers pull up like the nicest one's probably a Cadillac? Uh, yeah, but I bought an older one. So like I bought the car and I was like, all right, what's the worst that's going to happen? I'm going to drive for Uber. And then I'm going to cover the car note. This is only like five or $600 a month. So, you know, I tried it. I would wake up at like four in the morning and drive until like seven, eight, and then go to work and then get out at like five, six, and then drive until like midnight. And then just do that every day. For how long did you do that? Uh, I remember I, I had like a thousand rides. Oh my gosh. So I, I don't know. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but it was like a thousand rides. And then I kind of took a step back because some of my friends were like, okay, if you're trying to get into real estate, does this make sense? And I was like, all right, well, let's see. Like, Wait, did you meet any clients though? So I actually, none of them converted. Like I met people that I talked to about real estate. Like, okay, like I know your cousin, I'm trying to do something. Like I've met a lot of people and I always thought it was just interesting. Like driving around random people and then making connections out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So I drove this guy that played for the Texans. And then right after that, I drove these kids that their aunt went to, or my their uncle went to the school that I went to in Baltimore, and yeah, kids, like just stuff like that. Kids, you're driving kids. I mean, they were like college kids. Okay, you yeah. scared me. Oh you, no, no, they're not twelve. They're not twelve. 
So, I mean, I just thought it was interesting, like, you meeting people. You build relationships, people. though. Yeah. And then, actually, like, I had somebody reach out to me not too long ago, and they followed me on the real estate page because they remember that I drove them in the Uber. Wow. And then they were like, hey, I'm glad you're doing well, blah, 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 blah. So, and that was so many years later. I mean, look at the car you were driving while you were Ubering. Yeah. <laughs> It just, you know, I love the fact that you did that because it just shows like you have to think outside of the box. Yeah. And you never thought like, hey, I'm running this fun. I'm too good to be driving an Uber. How most individuals think yeah. you saw an opportunity and you went for it. And it's true. I mean, I think whether it's in real estate or any other business, um, I always feel like you have to be able to do any job. If your person doesn't come in that's responsible for X, Y, and Z, like you should be able to know how to do it or somebody on your team needs to know how to do it. And right. I never feel like I'm above any task, whether it's in real estate or whether it's in restaurants or you know any other business. I remember the day as COVID was hitting, I signed the biggest deal that I ever have done. It was four and a half million dollars. And then you were asking me, oh, are you going to celebrate? And I said, well, actually, no, the guy that, um, takes care of the dishes in the back called out. So I was celebrating You're washing dishes by, when I called you. Yeah, I was celebrating by washing dishes after signing $4.5 million deal. But I love that. That's so admirable about you. And I feel like that's what a lot of, you know, uh, I, I hate saying young, but I, a lot of individuals that want to be in business don't realize that you have to do. Yeah. You know? I don't know. Maybe it's just like old school. I, I grew up in a like middle is an upper class family, to be honest. And, um, you know, but I saw the way that my parents were working, right. you know, my dad was a physician, he was a surgeon, but he was always willing to, you know, drive far to office to office and that kind of thing. So I think innately, that's why I have this kind of determination um, built into me. Yeah, and you can't teach someone that. I've learned that as well. Yeah, it's hard, you know, whether you're coming from a very wealthy family or a family with lesser means, I think a lot of it still comes from within. It's like the fire that you're creating internally. Um, yeah, it's hard to teach somebody that. Well, I remember my dad waking up at 4 a.m. to go to work. Yeah. And me thinking as I got older, that is crazy. I never want to do that. Yeah. I can't imagine having to wake up at 4 a.m. And fast forward, I freaking wake <laughs> up at 4 a.m. all the time. And so, I bet your kids are thinking that stuff too. But. So Manny does wake up. He's my 12-year-old, and he wakes up very early. I mean, he wakes up and he's like, Mom, what are we doing today? I'm going to go play basketball. Or what's the plan? Yeah. But because I wake up and there's always a plan. And my daughter, she likes to sleep in a little bit, but it's true. You know, I feel like that's something that was just taught from the beginning. And if you weren't taught that, then maybe I've also seen individuals that say, hey, I want to get into business or, hey, Nancy, I want to wake up early. How do I need to do that? And it's like, you need to put it in your mind and have yeah. that mindset. Yeah. To want to do it. I totally forgot that day that I called you. I was like, let's celebrate. You're <laughs> like, I'm washing dishes. I can't. Yeah. But I mean, you you got to acknowledge your highs, acknowledge your lows. But I think you try not to go too crazy. You try to live in that middle path to, to make sure nothing is uh, going to eat you up or get you too excited and get you on your high horse. Because it's so... Uh, I think it's so easily lost. For sure. You know, so. 
When you're not eating at your restaurant, mm. what is a favorite type of food that you like to eat? Ah, oh, man. So I eat I everything cooked, pretty much. So I follow you and Natalie on social media, yeah. and you guys are always eating at the best restaurants. I mean, if I need a <laughs> restaurant suggestion, I'm looking at what you guys oh, are doing. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so I mean, I eat everything except like recently my my uh, cholesterol is through the roof. So <laughs> it's crazy. Are we crazy. really talking about I'm cholesterol? Saying, yeah, I mean, it's bad. But So I'm supposed to eat like more healthy now. But okay. outside of that, you know, I'd like to eat at, for sure, like local restaurants, try to support smaller businesses i love that um so yeah i mean eat everything i love korean food i love japanese food of course but you know even within japanese food there are a lot of restaurants that i still go to uh, because they serve things that we don't serve in our restaurants mm -hmm. um and then you know like yeah, eat a lot of tacos like i love taco trucks uh if you need like specifics tio trompo is really good it's a small spot on shepherd i think they had the best uh barbacoa that i've ever eaten I don't eat barbacoa. Oh, really? Isn't that crazy? I think it's, well, I would, so my family owns supermarkets mm. and we have barbacoa every single weekend. <laughs> so every weekend I would go into the store and it was the smell. So I think from seeing it and eating it so much growing up that I haven't had barbacoa in years. I can't Overdid recall. It. Yeah, we definitely Maybe we should it. go there though. I'll bring it in. That spot guys, is good. Yeah. You need to come by. Barbacoa sure. is good. What else? So just local overall. Do you I mean, overall, I, I've eaten probably at a, I don't know. I don't know what the percentage is, but I've probably eaten at more restaurants in the city than like 99% of people out there. Wow. So you eat out every single day. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm kind of. <laughs> you have that high cholesterol yeah. now that you're dealing with. Yeah. And you guys have also been traveling a ton. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I try to get out to not only like reset the mind, but then also to open our eyes and see things um, because inherently, you know, there are businesses out in other parts of the world that aren't in Texas and that aren't in Houston. So if there's some granular piece that I can pick up, uh, whether it's to apply to current business, whether it's in real estate and restaurants, um, it's always good. You know, I'm a, I think I'm a pretty observant person. Mm -hmm. So I just like to see different things and be in different places. Andrew, thank you so much for being here with me today. This was fun to go down memory lane and talk about uber driving yeah uh open houses and you not celebrating your 4.5 million dollar closing <laughs> instead he was washing dishes so if that's not work ethic i don't know what is thank you so much for listening make sure you are subscribed to my youtube channel and follow real estate happenings on spotify so you never miss an episode